Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here because that's exactly what Van Hack has done. Shelly, picture this a closed community of pre verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. Van Hack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams, listen up. Van Hack's introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty-gritty details of immigration and relocation. So can you imagine, Serge? The applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table. Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. (laughs) The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, how are you doing? Having a great day. Thank you so much for asking. Really pleased with who we've been able to snag and get on the show. Someone we met at Wreckfest. Very serendipitously, if I may. Serge, I want to hear you say that word in your French accent. No, no, you cannot force me to say that word. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so I'll yeah. say uh, I can't so even say I that am... in English. <laughs> <laughs> so we are so pleased that we have had Amit Parmar, who is the CEO of Clickify, agree to come on the show. We met you in the coffee line, I think, initially, right? Welcome to the show. I am excited to be here. Thank you, Shelly and Serge. I know you're out in the East Coast. I can't even imagine how gorgeous the fall season must be for you. Our fall season lasts about four days. (laughs) And then the trees are all bare. Then it's no season for like eight months. That's it. We we just deal with it. But do you know what I think was interesting is we had at least three, four people come up to us during Wreckfest and be like, I need to introduce this guy to you. Then they would bring you over. I know Omar did that. Then I think there's a couple others just saying, we need to meet this guy. And honestly, I've been following you for a couple of years and it's really cool to have you on the show. Likewise, and thank you. So I know we've had a chance to take a look at a very impressive career track, Amit, and some of the things that you've done. But what we love to have you do is share with our audience a bit about your journey And what brings you to today as CEO of Clickify? Yeah, thank you. Look, I've been fortunate 
over the years. I have a little bit of gray hair and some scars on my back from all, all the years being in, in talent. So my background, I'm actually a biochemist by education. Oh. Uh, somehow ended up in HR. Actually, not somehow. It's a legit story. I actually got my master's in HR from Rutgers University in New Brunswick. Um, shout out to Johnson & Johnson, who actually paid for my master's. And then after I graduated, like many people, there's really no career path, right? Because here I'm a biochemist in a lab at, at J&J. And this is way before the times of LinkedIn. This was in the day of Monster, right? And somehow IBM got a hold of my resume, interviewed with them, and started my HR career with IBM on Madison Avenue in New York in their consulting practice. That was my entry into HR, implementing PeopleSoft mm. or some large global enterprises uh, at a very young age. Uh, so just fortunate to have had that experience. We used to call them towers back then before the COE concept came up, right? The centers of ex expertise or excellence. So we used to have towers for payroll, benefits, recruiting, learning. And I was there quite a few years, so got my hands into essentially a lot of those towers, setting up payroll systems or processes within PeopleSoft to benefits, to learning, to recruiting. Yeah, if I was to provide advice to some of the, the folks in HR and getting into HR, I would highly suggest starting your HR career, and I may be biased, in the consulting realms because you get exposure to mm. so many perspectives as it relates to the foundations of HR. And then you fell into talent acquisition, right? You were a practitioner, yeah. leader. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. What, what I say is always raise your hand for jobs people don't want. <laughs> and for the most part, cut my teeth into talent attraction and talent acquisition, followed by talent management. So that included performance management, succession, leadership, culture, engagement. And yeah, did that for, gosh, all, all in all, close to 18 years of my life. <laughs> and learned a great deal. And I still do. Uh, there's always new stuff happening, as you both know. Just an avid learner. So tell us how you got into the HR tech space. Tell us a bit about Clickify. Where did you come yeah. up with this idea? What are you trying to solve? Yeah, great question. So I've always been a, a technologist uh, at heart, always analytical, really looking at data and combining that with what makes sense from a business standpoint. And in any of my roles over the years, I looked at my tech stack and, and the processes. And I know a lot of people talk about the people experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the people experience is woven into your tech, your people, your processes, your policies, like all of that combined. But I always looked at technology as the key enabler for the experience that people have and that are really embedded by the processes, right, or your policies. And so when specifically around employer branding, heading up the talent function, I used to spend roughly $4 million a year. So I had a $30 million budget globally, and $4 million of that we would spend or invest rather on attracting talent. And when we looked at the tech stack in attracting talent, and this is about five years ago now, so I'm sure the, the problem has gotten mm -hmm. worse with all the VC investments and, and all kinds of, of tools and, and shiny gadgets out there. But when I looked at our tech stack, it was about four to five different tools that my employer branding leader was working with. When I took on that function, 
just on the employer branding component alone, we were using Adobe. This is way before the, the days of Canva using Adobe to create assets. Our marketing department was great, but they really didn't support from a talent attraction standpoint. They don't get measured on Looking at the tech stack, it was using a, a platform, if you will, for content creation, using a separate platform to crowdsource and edit videos, employee-generated videos, using another platform to activate those assets across social channels, Social or Everyone Social. There's some great tools out there to do that. And then lastly, none of those systems communicated with each other. So as a talent leader, when you think about all this work you're doing to build your employer brand beyond your career site, how are you attracting the talent, especially where they're hanging out most, which we all know they're either on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, now threads, and TikTok. Some of the stats around that for the audience here, I was just actually doing another presentation TikTok alone has 2 billion active users, and the Earth's population is 8 billion, right, including babies. <laughs> so you, you look at about 40% of the adult population around the world is actively using TikTok. That's just one of the examples. Now, people have this stereotype, if you will, that TikTok is for young kids. When you look at the data, you've got about 30% of the TikTok population over the age of 29, right? So, so there is a lot of power to being present where the people are hanging out more. And we're all hanging out more and more on social media channels and less on job boards. Completely agree. I'm one that's on TikTok. I don't want to admit it, but sometimes I get caught in the web and I'm on for two hours and I've seen 42 videos of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, but... <laughs> <laughs> but how does Clickify help that, right? Let's use TikTok as an example. Does Clickify take the content that's internal to that career site and create content on TikTok? Is that one of the avenues that you're sharing content? Yeah, social is definitely a big channel for content. Okay. If you take a step back, Serge, the big problem we're looking to solve for enterprises, how do you reduce the friction between the content that the enterprise wants you to share from a narrative standpoint, the tools that your employees or managers or recruiters are being asked to touch to be able to do that? It's super fragmented. I just mentioned three different tools that I would have to go into to support the work that yeah. my company wants me to support. And lastly, the channels that I as an employee need to share content on. And the big question is, why would I share content as an employee? It's not part of my job. And so what we're tackling is this need, and this is what's happening out there with candidates. They want to hear from your leaders directly. They want to hear from your employees directly. Hence this employee advocacy philosophy, if you will. But what's happening is, especially with AI, you're going to see a lot more content being pushed. And now the people are consuming that content from your employees. They're going to have to figure out like what's good versus I'm just getting flooded with all these messages. I want to hear from Shelly what it's like to work at Clickify mm -hmm. versus Clickify's canned message. Hey, come join us. We're this great, happy place. I want to hear from Shelly what she actually wants to share. So the bigger thing that we're tackling is that psychology about why would Shelly go out and share something amazing about your culture. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's the piece we're tackling by reducing friction, number one. 
And number two, how do you make it easy for Shelly to personalize some of the assets? Because people need a starting point. So we've been able to capture very categorical templates, if you will, or stories that people can pick up in a branded way. And employees feeling safe about how and what to share and when and where to share it. It is in the personal networks of the employees. So it's not like if I share it on their company pages on LinkedIn or Twitter or, or TikTok. It's employees actually saying, hey, yeah, I believe in diversity, equity, or hey, I believe in social responsibility. I'm passionate about this topic. And that's the, the content they're able to share, not only on TikTok, but on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and threads is coming in the near future. What are most employees sharing? Is job sharing still the biggest driver of any type of content right now? I'm I'm smiling because I will say typical ATSs and systems out there haven't done us a favor. As recruiters, I've been in recruiting a long time. I think the worst thing that could have happened in our industry is the share on social button that's embedded in the job. (laughs) I'm not going to name the systems, but a lot of the ATSs have that. And I think what that has done is created this transactional false security blanket for recruiters, hiring managers, and employees in many regards to say, oh, I shared this on social. I've checked the box. We launched Clickify three years ago. And interestingly enough, Serge, we actually started with jobs as our first category. So think of us as we're not, nothing like Airbnb, but that whole strategy was to start off with jobs because that was the lowest barrier to entry from a psychology standpoint for our users. We're typically recruiters, hiring managers, and in some regard, employees. So we started with jobs. We spent about a year initially on that. Then we started introducing more categories, diversity, social responsibility, celebrations, big one, right? We have a category for referrals. So we started expanding on these categories and we're finally now year three into this, starting to see the shift from, hey, I need to share this job or what this job is about to, hey, what is the culture like? What is the the value proposition overall collectively that we're able to portray out there in a realistic way through people who are passionate about particular categories? Does that make sense? 100%. My dilemma here is this is where I'm trying to figure out social. If you look at content that goes viral or gets a lot of attention, it's very authentic. Like uh, I'll use the example of the guy doing the paint for Sherwin-Williams, right? Uh, He got fired, but it was the most exposure Sherwin-Williams has ever had. Anytime that you corporatize, Shelly, there you go. Here, I'll give you the the word in English. Corporate. No, I don't even know what word you're yeah, trying you to say. I can't even say. Actually, yeah, I was going to ask the same thing. It's yeah. the, the corporate approved branded stories, the corporate voice. It's not authentic. That's correct. It's it doesn't not. do well. And, and it doesn't. And we have data on that. So one of the, the things about our platform, everything is based around the data. So we built this with that in mind and as the core aspect of what we provide. So when we're thinking about the content that resonates, you're spot on, Serge and Shelly, right? Anything that's polished or corporate with corporate jargon built into it doesn't do well. And we actually provide this data to our clients on a real-time basis. And it's a closed loop. So when they start to see that data, it is super powerful in terms of changing the narrative. And I'll give you a perfect example, a large 
national insurance carrier in the United States. We've been partnering with them for almost a year now. And there are tons of assets they've shared in the time frame of a year, about 1,500 total assets shared across all categories, jobs, diversity, social responsibility, benefits, learning. We looked at that data, right, because we have enough data now to, to make statistically significant uh, deductions from it. And what we found was there's one theme just for this organization now, because it varies by organization. For this one organization, there's one theme that is driving the most conversion in terms of not just engagement, but also conversion to uh, applicants as well as hires. And it's social responsibility. It has nothing to do with jobs. It's super powerful. And to your point, the way they're sharing corporate social responsibility are their employees who are attending or investing their volunteer hours for community service events. These are employees who are actually taking those templates, I would say 70% uh, templatized, if you will, with their brand guardrails, but then they're personalizing it and then sending it for approval. So there's an approval flow that drives a level of security even for employees because the number one barrier for employees, it's not just the number of tools they have to use, but it's also they're scared. They're not sure if they're going to get in trouble for sharing a, a particular story, right? That's more personalized. Once we have the approval flow built into the process, we're already seeing a lot of people get activated and, and motivated to share that because they're like, yeah, somebody at corporate, quote unquote corporate, is reviewing this before it goes live. Do you know, I wonder, you have been in corporate HR for, I think you said 18 years. And HR does tend to be chasing after the new and the shiny. It gets great momentum out of the gate. How do you keep up the momentum with employees? And it's no different whether it's like a, the leadership development program or we're going to put a big push on savings plans or whatever it is, but they always fizzle out and they end up in the bottom drawer. Yeah. What makes Clickify different that you can keep up this momentum? Yeah, great question. It's a question that keeps me up at night. <laughs> as well. And, and I will say, I do think there are a couple of things we've seen with adoption. Yes, you're spot on. Early on, there's a communication plan and everybody's, yeah, we got this new thing. I'm going to use it. Uh, we've been able to sustain some of the usage by honestly just doing some basic things. You know, one thing we have done is every Monday, every user on the platform gets a personal brand report. And it's some basic stats. It's this is how you did last week. Here's the engagement that you created last week, the buzz you created last week. Here's how your team did without giving up a lot of secrets or, or any sensitive information. This is a team effort. Here is how your personal brand is trending. And then there's a CTA that says, hey, you're doing great. Keep building the momentum. Keep building your personal brand. It is about what's in it for me, especially as it relates to employee advocacy. For recruiters and hiring managers, I can understand it as sort of part and parcel of their jobs. But even them, like we're seeing tremendous traction. It's almost, I hate to use the term gamification, but it is a psychology that people are basically saying, okay, yeah, you know what? Lookify is actually helping me build my brand presence, albeit it's really backed by the employer brand, but it's still personalized enough where 
my name is getting out there and I'm building a, a stronger network on the social communities. So one of the questions that I was trying to figure out is I think there's too much content being created overall in this space from HR tech companies, from vendors, also in a way from recruiters, like we're sharing a, a ton of content and AI has even accelerated this. It's almost gone to a point where we're a little numb to it. I'm very curious of how Clickify is leveraging AI because I can see it as a great tool to help create those templates, create that message. What's your plan with AI? Yeah. So before the world blew up with GPT, three years ago, we decided strategically to build on OpenAI. Okay. Um, and this is like the grandfather of GPT. Right? <laughs> How did and, you know about OpenAI at that particular point? Because that would have been really at the starting ground, right? Yeah, we, we were grandfathered into OpenAI. Like we almost have a free version of OpenAI wow. because we were one of the early adopters from a vendor standpoint. And kudos to our chief technology officer. He's big on these kinds of things. He actually comes from a non-HR background. Uh, he comes from the fintech world. Where, of course, with crypto and blockchain, this open AI was always big in that space. So he, he carried that forward as we were building Clickify. And, and I come from an HR background, so I'm always skeptical about AI. I always was, I always will be. But I see the value in AI. I'm going to coin this term right here on this call. Great. Tamed AI. What we built is AI models three years ago really looking at company-specific content. So what is the EVP? How are the job descriptions being written? What's the voice on social channels? What are people saying on Glassdoor or Comparably or Fishbowl? We actually built the platform with all of those inputs for the particular enterprise. So the large language model is very specific to that enterprise. Mm. So that's how we trained OpenAI to start to actually build models that are very specific and insular. And that's essentially what we have been able to accomplish. For example, for the audience here, the use case that companies have been enjoying for the last three years is what we call our hook generator. We, we actually call it Clio, which is Clickify Engagement Optimizer. When your employee is picking up an asset, and let's say it's diversity related, right, a template, and they want to write something about diversity, and inclusion and how they believe in it. They basically type that in, that's AI assistant for that organization, the voice of that organization, how they talk about diversity, and it'll actually give them suggestions and say, hey, Amit, if you want to write about diversity, here are a few suggestions on how to write a copy that you believe in, right? So it is a very balanced approach to AI that is actually going to help people write amazing stories that they're actually passionate about. And it's not, hey, we're just 90% building this thing for you or 100% AI powered. There's always human input into the content. And generally, we're not flooding the market or, or the audience with content. This is like highly personalized content that is typically going out maybe twice a week from each employee. So the scale is actually a lot more but the amount of content isn't a lot. Can I ask something? As I listen to you explain how you've tamed AI, certainly the company has decided their voice, their brand, how they want to control the narrative about how they're perceived. 
So what about the not so good stuff about a company? Things like negative employer reviews. Does your AI take into account how we want to talk as a corporation on things like negative employee reviews, employer reviews, I should say? Does it take that into account? When we scrape Glassdoor info, it does take everything into account, including negative reviews. However, this isn't launched yet. We are in the process of actually giving to our clients and our prospects, clients, insights about how to actually build these templates based on all of that. So right now, the use case that is available to the market or Clickify clients is what to write based on the content or based on the analysis uh, of, of all of those assets combined. But what's coming up in the future with Clickify is looking at just the reviews in particular, and then feeding that back into the content that employer branding practitioners need to think about. Just to summarize it all, Shirley, it's looking at content across all of those different, the large language model includes that, but we haven't bifurcated it just for reviews yet. Okay. I want to take a step back and go back into employment brand. One of the things that I've always had a challenge is measuring the impact of employment brand. Obviously, you work with a lot of companies and you're their employment brand vendor or part of it. What do you suggest they should be measuring when it comes to employment brand? Yeah, great question. So, you know, of course, we've all heard the term vanity metrics, (laughs) right? The analogy I use is like when you go to the gym, I could say I'm going to the gym every day, but I'm not lifting any weights. (laughs) I'm just going to the gym. And so how do you just not go to the gym and actually start to lift weights? When I think about branding or frankly, any HR metric for that matter, how do you start to move away from what I call the means metrics or the the vanity metrics like, hey, clicks or engagements? They're vanity metrics. Yes, they stand for something. It means something. But to a CFO or to a CHRO, it's like, all right, that's great. Okay, what's next? You got to look at the full spectrum and say, what are we after here? What kind of talent are we attracting as well as retaining? Many of the employer branding conversations that I'm part of are so heavily skewed towards attracting talent. I actually think it's the opposite. If you help retain talent through employer branding, the people will come. It's an inside out perspective Mm. from a branding standpoint. But to your question, from a metric standpoint, I would say, take it all the way through. It's the closed loop. Whoever is sharing it, don't just track the engagement metrics, but actually track, did it result in a quality hire as well as retention? Not easy to do, as we all know. We're able to actually track it all the way through to hire through the platform. But the missing link for us, and that's like Nirvana from our standpoint, is to be able to go a year down the road and say, okay, you know what? Client X, we were able to drive X number of candidates to hire, and now through retention as well. And I think that's where the story starts to be really interesting from a branding standpoint, is when you start to essentially close the loop from content strategy to content creation, all the way through to hire as well as retention. Love it. One last question. I I want you to take out your crystal ball. Give us an idea, because we're almost in 2024 at this point. What is the talent market going to look like in 2024, in your opinion? 
Oh, wow. So I'm a big believer in what would they say? Soft skills, right? Yeah. Uh, I do think beyond 2024, the people who are able to build soft skills like influencing skills or relationship building skills, the, the skills that I can't easily replicate, <laughs> right? Right. If you want to be competitive in the labor market, the people who can acquire and retain those kinds of skills, the soft skills, are going to fare much better in the marketplace. I will say, look, AI is great. In fact, I've written a, a piece on that on Forbes three years ago uh, on how the human connection in AI will prevail and how we as a society, as people, will have a better quality of life because of AI. So what do I mean by that? Take, for an example, a call center rep in the Philippines. Right now, they're probably inundated without AI. They're probably inundated with these nasty customers who are pissed off about something. Imagine you give that to a bot who can handle or even let the call center rep know that, hey, these are the main issues that customer is, is super pissed off about. So now you're essentially helping this call center rep reduce friction with some data and insights that AI could provide to them before even getting into that call. So what does that mean? Less stress for both parties, for the person who's pissed off, as well as the person on the other end, the call center rep. That's just one example of how the quality of life will improve with technology. My prediction is that with AI, it's only going to accelerate the mundane tasks that you no longer need to do or work on, and you'll now be able to build skills that are more upstream, that are more strategic, or maybe not even strategic, just things that make you happier as a person you're able to do because you have more time. I think it's James Ellis that says that 95% of recruiters' daily tasks can be replaced with automation and AI. The who mastered the 5%, which is really the sweet spot and the real value we deliver as talent acquisition recruitment, they're going to be the winners. Amit, it was a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to have you recording. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the easiest way? LinkedIn is the easiest way. And my email is amit at clickify.me. And clickify.me is the website, I'm assuming? That is the website. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Serge and Shelly, for having me here. Thank my you. Point. And we'll see you at HR Tech? Yes, we'll see you in Vegas. Awesome. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans.